Okay. Thanks, Brian, and that is our prayer that his ancient words from all eternity would change us, make us more like his son. Um, my name is Brian McKenzie. If you're visiting with us uh, this morning, and if you've been here a long time and still know my name, that's okay. You can say, hey, you. That'll work, too. Uh, I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here um, at the Potter's House, and have the privilege a couple times a month to be able to um, bring God's word to us. And before we dive in this morning, I just want to acknowledge something. Tomorrow's Memorial Day, right? If you didn't know that on your calendar, you just know it from the traffic. All right, it started to ramp up here, but it's Memorial Day, and we, we always want to acknowledge those who gave their life for us to have the freedoms we have in our country. And as I said last week in, in, at one point, um, our country has, it needs to grow, it needs to improve, as it always has. It's never, this has, things haven't changed in the sense that our country has sinners who live in it, right? And we're going to have to continue to change and trust God, and we want to change. But hey, we have a great country, and I've visited lots of other countries, and I'm telling you, we've got a great country. Um, and we need to be thankful for that, yes. And we have a great country partly because uh, we, we've had people give their life that we could have that. And the greatest thing that ever happened in someone given, uh, given their life was Jesus, obviously. He gave his life that we might have true life and be rightly related with God through faith in him and what he did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we celebrate that every Sunday, don't we? Um, but to thank you for, um, thankful for those who have given their life for, for our country. Well, with that said, we're going to dive right in here this morning, and we are in this series going through First and Second Timothy. We're now in Second Timothy called Be Strong in Grace, and this is part 52, and this is one of my more original titles for a sermon, all right? Motivations for Suffering for the Gospel, part two. See how creative that is? And nobody got it. That's okay. That was so creative, nobody got it. All right, yeah, part two, and it, it's what it is, and, and uh, that's just what we're going to do. We're really continuing where we've been, and um, the, the same uh, theme is going on as we look at God's Word today. So if you have a copy of God's Word, which I hope you do, encourage you to take it out, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 13 this morning. Um, but before we examine those verses this morning, I just want to review a little bit from last week and get us in context, really, from the last few weeks. Remember that Paul, in verse 2 of chapter 2, uh, gives these words and exhorts Timothy to entrust what he had heard from him, all right, Paul, Timothy had heard from Paul, entrust it to faithful men who will be able to entrust it to others, who will be able to entrust it to others, who will be able to entrust it to others. And we know that's happened because we're here this morning. We've been entrusted the faithful word of God throughout the centuries because people have done that. He's, he, he's called him to do, to do the hard and rewarding work of making disciples. This is just a practical outworking of the Great Commission. Uh, the Lord through Paul has also called all of us, everyone here who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, he's called us all to do the hard and rewarding work of making disciples who will make disciples. And, and since we, we've been called to this, we, we, we asked this question last week. Do you all remember? Who are you meeting with? Who are you meeting with? It's a fair question because if we're called to do this, then we ought to be meeting with someone to pass on these things that have been entrusted to us. Uh, who, who's entrusting you with God's word and who are you entrusting with the truth of God's word, which center, centers around the gospel? Well, since making disciples it is hard work and there's suffering involved, uh, Paul has been exhorting Timothy, giving him motivations, incentives to keep up working through the difficulties that Timothy's working through as he entrusts God's word to faithful men, as he makes disciples. It's hard work. And, and it, depending on how you uh, divide these up, there's nine or ten 
motivations that Paul gives Timothy uh, to encourage him to keep making disciples, keep suffering for the sake of the gospel. In, in verses 4 through 7, we, we, we saw some motives um, uh, that Jay went over, and that's the, the, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And then last week, we looked at verses 8 through 10, where Paul laid out three more motivations uh, for Timothy to push through and suffer and make disciples who will make disciples. And just to, to remind us of last week, I'll pull this up here in 2 Timothy uh, 2, 8 through 10. The first thing we saw, and we saw this in verse 8, was to remember Jesus Christ. And specifically, Paul tells him to remember two things about Jesus Christ. He's risen from the dead, and he's the offspring of David. He's risen from the dead reminds us that he's alive. We serve a living king, don't we? He's living. He's alive. And if you know him, he's alive in you. So we remember that as we, we do the hard work of making disciples. Also, that he's a descendant of David, an offspring of David. And one of the things which promised of being an offspring of David, that he, he would be king. And Jesus is the ultimate king. He would sit on the throne of David. And Jesus sits forever on the throne of David as king, as ruler, as sovereign. May those things be, may we remind of those things and they, may they motivate us to strengthen us as we make disciples. The second thing we saw was in verse 9, rest on the power of God's word. Paul may have been bound in prison is what he says, but the word of God is never bound. Nothing can hold back the word of God. And there's time, illustration after illustration in scripture that shows that. There's illustration in our own life that nothing can hold back the word of God. Like I said last week, it's like a lion. You just let it loose and let it go. And God's work does its work. God's word does its work. And then thirdly, we, we, we saw, we realized the purpose. What was the purpose for which Paul and Timothy and all of us who know Jesus keep doing the hard work of discipleship? What was that purpose? What we saw there, it's to, so others may obtain the salvation in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Paul loved people, and he wanted them to see, them to come and understand and, and receive this great salvation which uh, he had obtained, which he had been given in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. And that was his motivation, his love for people, his love for those people God had called. So these things motivated Paul to endure the suffering that comes from being committed to discipleship, and they should motivate us, right? These, these three things we saw last week. So, and I'll just say, I was super encouraged by some of the response I heard during the week from people taking this seriously, taking seriously and, and wanting to answer that question, who are you meeting with? They, they wanted to have an answer for who am I meeting with. And next time somebody asks, and remember, it's not this who you meeting with, it's hey, who you meeting with. Who, who you meet? I want to know who you meet. Oh, that, that's encouraging to me, to know who you're meeting with and investing God's word so they can invest God's word into someone else. That's the attitude here. And, and I've already heard things going on in our church that super, super encourages me. Well, with that review, uh, and helps us get in the right context, let's now turn our attention to today's passage, which is 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. If you'd stand with me as we read God's word together, I would greatly appreciate it. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Read this with me. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Lord, we do ask that your ancient words, that your words from all eternity past, will show up today in our hearts and our lives and change us to make us more like your son, to, to motivate us 
to be committed to the hard and rewarding work of making disciples who will make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before we look more closely at these these verses, 11, 12, and 13, uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been thinking about something or heard something or read something that brings a song to your mind? Yes. All right. We got one honest person. Uh, And it just makes you want to start singing in response. Uh, We've probably all been there. If we're honest, we've all been there. Something just comes to our mind and we want to sing. Uh, Every time our family crosses the state line into Kentucky, we sing my old Kentucky home. And if you're riding in my car, you're going to sing with us. And then we followed up with the Universe Kentucky fight song right after that, every time. All right, that's what we do. It just, you come across into the holy land of Kentucky. Well, you know, West Virginia is called almost heaven. You know why, right? Because it's so close to Kentucky. So you ride into Kentucky and, and you just want to sing. All right, I, obviously I'm proud of my home state, very thankful for being raised in Kentucky. Um, uh, but... Uh, but there's other things, too. Sometimes when I'm driving Kylie to school, our youngest daughter, who's uh, 15 now, it's just hard to believe. Watch out, she's driving some now, too, so just a little warning. Um, and we, we come up, we're going down Y Road, and we're approaching uh, 54 to take her to school, and the sun's just like, whoom, right there. If you've ever d- done that in the morning, driving that way, I mean, it's just right in your face. And I just begin to, you know, cry out in song about the sun. You are my sunshine. And she loves this. I mean, she begs me to do it. <laughs> Mr. Sun, Sun, Mr. Golden Sun, all, all that. Here, how about, here comes the sun. And I just go on walking on sunshine. And, I, and, and even my old Kentucky home starts with, the sun shines bright in my old Kentucky home. So I, I throw them all out there, and she's, Dad, please stop. But I just see the sun. I want to sing about the sun. Or maybe when I'm reminded about the faithfulness of God. And the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, comes to mind. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no turning up. No, you're going to mess up the words here, but I just sing. And I keep singing, and, and, and it just because I'm, I'm reminded about the faithfulness of God. And my guess is there's hymns or songs like that in your own life. Um, that, that just, just well up in you, you just can't help but sing them. At the end of verse 10, really, I mean, actually verses 11 and 13, this is what Paul is doing. He's, re, in some, he's reflecting but also reminding Timothy of truth. And as he thinks about the truth at the end of verse 10, look there, we in verse 10 if you have your Bibles open. If not, it says, the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. So in response to that great truth, the salvation is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory, then Paul can't help but just burst out in song. Why do I say that? Well, um, if you look here at 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, you see that that phrase up there, the underline, it is a trustworthy statement. And if you've been here, if you've gone through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you've seen this actually, this is the fourth time it shows up in 1 2 Timothy. It shows up one other time in Titus. The only times it shows up in Paul's writing, five times in what we call the pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. And and we've learned in the past that these are, are, are statements, trustworthy statements. They're a quote, a well known statement that the Christians would have known. Maybe they were from, this one I think is from a hymn. Others could have been a creed, but it's something that people in the church at that time would have understood. And he's just reminding Timothy of truths that he already knew. It's taking something and, and, and making it 
more simple. We also talked about some of them like, like what we call pithy statements, thinking, th- things that help, you know, that, um, that help us remember uh, things that are more complex and make them simple. We do that through song. We also, just, we also do it through like, um, uh, we, do a catech- we do catechism, which is asking a question, and there's an answer response. It's just a form of teaching. And so that, these went around in the early church. And, uh, and, and the thought here, and if you, if you really look at this, and most of our Bibles set it off like a hymn. And I believe this was a hymn. I think these are true statements that were made by Jesus um, or some of the apostles that were put together to help people remember. So Paul responds to this great truth about glory with Christ Jesus, in glory with the Father, with a song. And also, not only is he responding, but he's also trying to instruct Timothy in this. So Paul uses these truths contained in this hymn in, in verses 11 through 13 to further motivate Timothy to do the hard work, work of making disciples. So as we examine uh, these three verses, we'll be challenged and encouraged with four more motivations for suffering for the gospel and making disciples. So here's the four. If you're, if you're again, note taker, this is for you. Conversion, endurance, judgment, faithfulness. And, all right, conversion, endurance, judgment, and faithfulness. Those are motivations that we'll see in these verses. So look back with me at, at verse 11 again. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. So it's in these words we discover our first motivation found in this passage this morning, conversion. All right, notice the word died. What a wonderful word to focus on this morning, right? Died. It's actually in the past tense. All of our English translations um, make that clear. Some translations say have died, all right, for we have died with him. So to what is Paul referring to? Obviously, he's not talking about them being dead physically because they're not dead physically. He's not talking about that. Uh, this hymn is pointing to, uh, point to and lays that foundational truth about all Christians, of which he explains, he explains, other, it, he explains this in other letters he wrote to churches. Right? We're going to look at that. He's pointing to something that happened to our conversion. When we became a Christian and were given new birth, So what ha- and, and what happened there was symbolized through baptism. On, on, on Easter, Resurrection Sunday morning, we have a bunch of baptisms. Remember that? If you were here and buried, right, to the old life and resurrected anew, right? And this is the picture that he's painting with these words, all right? So let me just take us to one of those passages that, that Paul, actually, it's interesting, Paul writes this letter from Rome. He's in, in, he's in prison, and this, where we're going to go, is in Romans chapter 6. Look at Romans 6. Um, we're going we're gonna to actually go 5 through 11. It's five, it's 5 through 10 on there, but we're going to 5 through 11. Notice what it says. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, sir, listen real closely, we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We, we already see something that seems similar, but it's going to get even more similar. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So when we were placed into Christ by faith, we're placed into his death and the benefits that come with his death. And our old self is put to death, verse 6 here, and we're no longer slaves to sin. Isn't that good news this morning? The old person, the old man, the old nature was put to death, it says. And we're no longer slaves to sin. 
because we've been identified with Christ's death and his resurrection. But, but I love what verse 8 says here. It goes on and almost summarizes this. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 8 is almost identical for what we just read in verse 11 in 2 Timothy. I'm going to make it real clear for you. Look at that. Now if we died, this is, this is Romans, if we die with Christ, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse, verse 11 of this is chapter 2 of uh, 2 Timothy. For if we have died with him, we, so, we, shall, we will also live with him. Does that look familiar? I believe it's, it's, it's a quote of this truth in this hymn. So people will remember and never forget this truth. All right, now look back at Romans 8. And look, look, look down through here. It says in verse 9, or Romans uh, 6, verse 8. In verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. For the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, even so, all right, that Jesus was, was he died and then he rose again. He's no longer a slave. I mean, he's no longer, um, he, he, he's died to sin once for all. He lives, he lives to God. Then he said, even so, based on that truth, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's the truth, Paul says. Because of what Jesus did for us, and we're identified with his death on the cross, we're dead to sin. Dead to sin. We don't have to obey sin anymore. Used to, we did. But if you're in Christ now, you don't have to sin. We do sin, but we don't have to. There's a new sheriff in town. His name is Jesus Christ. He sits on the throne of our heart. We, don't, we have the power to say no, which we didn't have. So we're dead to sin, all right? but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? This is a truth here that Paul is reminding Timothy from this hymn. Right? And, and Paul states it other ways in other, other um, books of the Bible that he's written other letters. Look here, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What a great truth. Well, that old person, which was a slave to sin, is dead, and now in Christ we are no longer slaves to sin, and we live by the power of Christ in us. This is the truth we don't want to miss. So in the first line of this hymn, Paul is reminding Timothy to look back at his conversion and what happened to him. Remember this. Remember this truth. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. So the fact that Timothy is now dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus should motivate him and us to do the hard work and rewarding work of making disciples. If we know that we're dead to sin but alive to Christ, we can work through the hardest things when it comes to making disciples. We can willingly suffer through whatever it might be because we know we're dead to sin but alive with him, Christ. Well, look at me at verse 12 now. If we endure, we will also reign with him. It's in these words that we discover the, the second motivation in our passage this morning, which is endurance. Notice the word endure. Okay, now remember that died was in the past, okay, tense. The word endure is in the present. It has the idea of keep enduring, all right? We keep enduring. And, and this word endurance, we looked at it actually in verse 10 last week. It means patient steadfastness, perseverance. Just 
You just keep going. Just keep going. Keep going. We endure because of our trust in Jesus. That's why we endure. So let me make something clear here. We don't endure to earn a right standing with God. Let me say that again. We don't endure to make ourselves right with God. That's not the gospel at all. That's exactly opposite of the gospel. We endure to make ourselves right with God. Well, then how much enduring do you have to do to make yourself right with God? We're all in trouble because his standard is perfection. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament. We can't even keep the top 10. And Jesus proved that in the Sermon on the Mount. So how much do we have to endure? That's not what this is teaching. We have to endure to make ourselves right with God. We endure because we've been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. We endure and keep enduring because we've been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We endure in making disciples because we have died to sin and Christ lives in us. Now some of this, some people have called this, this continuing endurance the perseverance of the saints. Maybe you heard that. The perseverance of the saints. The saints, those who are, and the word saint just throws people off. The saints, are we talking about some special holy people? No, no, no. It's everybody who's in Christ. Paul writes to the saints at Philippi. It's everyone. It means holy ones. If we're in Christ, we're holy ones. So when I say the saints, okay, the perseverance of the saints, that the saints, the scripture teaches the saints will persevere in, in, in believing to the end. Okay? But, and I believe that. I believe that all my heart, I believe the scripture teaches that. But, but I, I like to refer to this continuing endurance in another way, the preservation of the Savior. The perseverance of the saints happens because of the preservation of the Savior. We endure, we preserve because we're, we, we persevere because we're preserved by the Savior. He empowers us to endure. The preservation of the Savior is, is, a great, is great news to me, and I hope it is to you. And, and notice that next phrase in verse 12. What happens as a result of our enduring that is empowered by Christ in us? It says we will also reign with him. Uh, this reign, he, 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 Jesus, is the promised king, and we are promised to reign with him if we're in him. Right? We, we see this. Jesus actually brings this up in Matthew 19, 28. He says, and Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's multiple other passages in the New Testament that talks about how we'll actually reign with Christ. This is a mystery of how this is all going to happen, but we will reign with Christ. So in the second line of this hymn, Paul is reminding Timothy and us of the privilege that awaits those who are in Christ. And this too should encourage us and motivate us to keep making disciples. This truth that if we endure, we will reign with him. We will reign with him. Now let's look at the, the next phrase in verse 12. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And since these words, we see the third motivation in our passage, judgment. Now look at the word deny, all right, there in, in, in verse 12. If we deny, it means to say no or to reject, to deny. And it's interesting, so we've looked at a past tense, we have died. We've looked at a present tense, enduring, and this actually is a future tense, okay? If we deny, it's pointing to something in the future. If someone fully and finally denies or rejects Christ, his sacrificial death and resurrection for sin and a new life, then, then he will deny them. Christ will deny that person. 
they deny what he has done on their behalf and who he is, then he says he will deny them. And this line from this hymn Paul quotes seems to be a quote directly from Jesus. Look at what it says in Matthew 10, 33. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Sound familiar? I mean, it's just, it's just what we have here. This is a, 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 a truth that came from Jesus that's been passed on in this hymn for us to remember, for Timothy to remember, for Christians all over the world to remember this great, this great truth. So there, there, is, there are those in this life who profess to know Christ. But in the end, they will deny him. Let me say that again. I'm using words very carefully here. I see you all zeroing in. That's good. There are those in this life who will profess to know Christ. Very key word there. But in the end, they will deny him. They will deny him by having never trusted alone in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for the payment for the sin to make them right with God. Let me say that again. They will deny him by have never trusting, trusted alone, alone another key word, alone in, the, in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sin. Instead, they are trusting in Jesus, listen to this, plus something else. This is, this is our math equation, right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything, equals eternal life, equals being made right with God. Jesus plus something, anything, just add in any work that you want to do, any religious ordinance you want to walk through. Hey, baptism is important. Taking communion, those are all important. But they do not make you right with God. we got to remember that. And here's the issue. It's Jesus plus nothing. Okay, We don't add things. So you see there are many who profess faith in Jesus but do not possess faith in Jesus. Let me say that again. There are many who profess faith in Jesus, but do not possess faith in Jesus. And Jesus made this clear multiple times. This passage is one of the most sobering passages in all the New Testament. Look what he says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, they're professing, Lord, Lord, Jesus, Jesus, all right? will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. I never knew you. And, and this is, there's a word that goes with it. It's speaking of apostasy. It's those who profess faith in Jesus but don't possess it. And in the end, they will deny, they will deny, ultimately, firmly and finally, they will deny what Jesus has done on their behalf and prove that they never possessed saving faith in Jesus anyway. Well, and we, we see this again, and, and John writes about this in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us. But they were really not of us. For they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so it would be shown that they are all not of us. And here John is talking about people who at least professed faith in Jesus. They professed it, but they didn't possess it. So in line three here of the, the, this hymn we're looking at, Paul is reminding Timothy of the judgment that those who fully and finally deny Jesus and his finished work to conquer sin and death, that there, 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 there will be judgment for that. And this should encourage and motivate Timothy in light of some of the false teachers he's having to deal with, he's been dealing with. 
Some, some to be sure, are true followers of Jesus, and they're just, they're just off on something, but others are not. And this is something that we'll have to trust God with. And Timothy needs to just trust God with this as he continues to do the hard work of making disciples. As we continue to make the hard work of doing disciples, there are some, there are some who will ultimately deny Christ and have never really trusted in him in the first place. They're trusting in Jesus plus something. They'll ultimately deny Christ. And the scripture, this is a sobering thing, um, is, says that he will deny them. Well, look at me at verse 13. Uh, and we find in these words, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It's in these words where we discover our fourth motivation this morning, faithfulness. This is the highlight of the hymn. Right? This, this is like the crescendo. This is, this is the high point of the hymn right here. Right? If, he remain, if, we, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Notice those words. This line would be an encouragement to Timothy, and it should be to us as well. The line before, we see a contrast. The line before spoke of final and full denial of Jesus. This line speaks of temporary lack of faith that can cause, that all of us can, can do and exhibit in our life. Right? You have a lack of faith in our in life. The word faithless is in the present tense. It's something we battle now. It's like Peter who showed faithlessness by denying Jesus, denied him three times. But did he keep denying him? No, he didn't. He didn't keep denying him. It was, it, it, it was a temporary thing. It was something that happened, but he didn't keep denying him. Uh, he repented and was restored, showing he truly possessed faith in Christ. And we too can display faith, faithlessness. When we don't speak up when we should. When we don't share the gospel, when we know someone in front of us doesn't know the Lord, has never trusted in what Jesus did on our behalf, we can show faithlessness, can't we? We all agree in here we all can show faithlessness? We all can show faithlessness in our lives. And when we, when we let anxiety and worry control us instead of trusting God, that's faithlessness, isn't it? Yeah, if we, if, we, if we have faith, we won't let anxiety and worry steal our joy and cripple us. So we can all be faithless, everyone. So if you read that last line and you think, oh man, is that talking about me? Well, no, it's not. If you are truly are trusting in what Christ has done for you, but here's the encouragement, because we look at our life and say, man, I, I do sometimes act faithless. Well, the, the encouragement is that next phrase, he remains faithful. He remains faithful. Uh, when the word faithful is used in reference to God in the New Testament, it all, it's always a positive reassurance that he will remain true to keeping his promises of blessing. It's never used in a warning for judgment. Let me say that again. Every time in the New Testament when faithfulness or faithful is used in reference to God, God is faithful, Jesus is faithful, it's always used in reference, to, in reassurance, he's coming through on his promises. Always. Never God is faithful to judge. He will judge, but it's not used in that. It's not using that those words aren't used together in the New Testament. And we, we, we see one of these passages in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many, listen to this, for as many are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. 
And the reason he is faithful, all right, the reason he is faithful, notice what it says. The reason he is faithful, what does it say? For he cannot deny himself. It goes back to the character of God. He is faithful. He doesn't contain faithfulness. He is faithful. There's a big difference. We can contain faithful, faithful, faithfulness, but we, don't all, we aren't always faithful because we in, inherently, we have, the, we have the flesh still hanging on. We're not like God. He, this is an attribute of God. He is faithful. He cannot deny himself. Christ, the Son, is faithful because of his own nature. And, and what has he promised to those who possess saving faith in Jesus? What has he promised? Let's look at a couple of things that he's promised. In John 6, 37 through 40, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing. I lose nothing. I lose nothing. Let me emphasize that. I lose nothing. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. This is a promise and he will keep it to those who are trusting in what he has done on their behalf alone. Another great passage in John 10, 20 through 30, look at this. Jesus speaking, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. Let me say this again. And they will never perish. Let me say it one more time. And they will never perish, and no one, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who is given to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I love this picture. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. Here's Jesus out of his hand. And he says, and no one will be able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. It's like double, double protection. No one. No one. What a great promise. There's a, there's a, there's a hymn um, uh, that, that has been reworked recently, an older hymn, and it, and it says this. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the temper, tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I, I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fa- fast. For my la- Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. If you're in Christ by faith, in what he has done on your behalf, he will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. I'm talking about security. So let me ask this question. Can I lose my salvation? Let me ask a couple other questions to answer that. Can Jesus sin? Can God lie? Okay, if you can answer yes to either of those questions, then we can lose our salvation. But the answer is no. Jesus can't sin and God cannot lie. And, and this is another thing. Some people, and, and, well, I know somebody, and, I, and then this and this and this and happened. I mean, I don't, we can't go to illustrations. We've got to go to the Word. Okay? And the Word says that, first of all, we don't do anything to gain our salvation. Right? And if salvation is only an intellectual ascent, I'll give you this. If, 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 if someone thinks that, that salvation is only an intellectual ascent about some facts on the back of Jesus' baseball card, then you can lose it. If that's all it is. But it's not. We saw this morning, here's what happens. We place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for what he's done on our behalf. He takes the old man, 
out. He's dead. He gives us a new nature. The Holy Spirit lives in us, resides in us. We're brand new. We're not the same old person. We're completely different. It's not just an intellectual ascent about some facts about Jesus. It's, we're called, it's what, what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. We're born again. We're brand new. We're not the same person we were. I, I, I don't have this up there. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about the Holy Spirit. I love this picture. Now listen very closely. The Holy Spirit was given as a deposit. It's the same word we use for earnest money. Now, earnest money nowadays is all over the place. Who knows what happens with it? But used to, when you would place an earnest down on a home and you backed out of that deal, what did you lose? You lost your earnest money. Now, think about this. God the Father gives the Spirit as earnest money. If God would back out of that deal, what would he do? He would lose the Spirit. That's impossible because it's who he is, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Think about that. That's how strong, that's how secure we are. And I could go on and on and on because salvation is not our doing, it's his doing. And he recreates us and makes us brand new. Our salvation, read those words again. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Our salvation and security rest on God and his work. Let his faithfulness motivate you to keep doing the hard and rewarding work of making disciples. Well, so what? What difference does all this make? All right, what, what, what difference? Paul has continued his motivation to Timothy and us to suffer, to keep going for the gospel, do the hard work and rewarding work of making disciples who make disciples here in, 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 in these verses. Four more motivations, conversion, endurance, judgment, faithfulness. They're all meant to be motivated to keep going, keep going and do the hard work of making disciples. So here's my question again. Who are you meeting with? Who are you meeting with? Who are you meeting to do this very thing with? To pass on the truth of God's word so they can pass it on to others who will pass it on to others. Another question I have, are you in Christ this morning? Are you in Christ this morning? Because if you are, it says that we've died with him and, and we live with him. But if you're not, then you're dead in Christ. I mean, you, you don't know Christ, so you're dead spiritually. He wants to make you alive spiritual. And what happens is that, how, how this happens is that what he did on our behalf, we have to trust in what he did on our behalf. Those of us who have sinned, which is all of us, right? All of us have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We make much of ourselves instead of God. And that's an affront to God. So that, that, that sin separates from God. But he loves us so much that he sent Jesus to pay the penalty we deserve, which is death, eternal death. He paid the penalty on our behalf. He was our substitute, all right? He pays that for us. He, he so loved the world that he gave his only son on our behalf to pay for our penalty that we deserve. And the Bible says if we would turn from trusting in ourselves, because you only trust in two things. Either you're trusting in yourself to make yourself right with God, or you're trusting in what Jesus did on your behalf. Either you're, you're, and, and when you say, I'm trusting in Jesus and me, you're really trusting in you. It's in Christ alone, not Christ and you. It's Christ alone. We turn and we trust what Jesus did on our behalf. He says that he will make us brand new. We'll be his child. What great news. And my prayer is if you've never done that, that, that today you would do that. You would turn from trusting in yourself and you would trust in what Jesus did for you. Well, uh, as we look at this and as we walk out of here, I just want to encourage us. Those who know Christ, let's be about making disciples. 
And let these things motivate us, especially the last one. He is faithful. We're guaranteed win. We're guaranteed victory ultimately because he is faithful. Before we, I pray we dismiss, I just want to make mention again, we're going to have people up here, if you'd like to talk to them, ask questions, pray with them, encourage you to take advantage of that. So would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these great truths that remind us, Lord, to mo- that motivate us, Lord, to, to, to be about the, the hard and rewarding work of making disciples who will make disciples. Lord, may these words encourage us this morning. And Lord, if there are those here this morning that don't know you, Lord, open their heart like you did Lydia. See the great truth of the gospel, the good news that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? And I'd like to read this over you this morning, Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen. You're dismissed.